Welcome to the Keeping It Israel podcast with Jeff Futers, where Jeff and his guests talk everything Israel as it relates to Christian faith and the church. If you are a Christian and you stand with Israel, you will be encouraged and challenged by this podcast. And if you're not so sure about the whole Israel thing, you need to learn how your faith connects with Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's Jeff with today's guest. Well, welcome to the podcast today, and it's great to have you with us. I'm not sure how you found us, how you got here today, but if you're watching on YouTube, uh, I want to just encourage you, go to the bottom right corner of your video screen right now and just click on that subscribe button. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We would love to have you checking in with us week after week. Also, if you're listening on one of your favorite podcast platforms, again, please subscribe. We've got lots of interesting topics uh, that we discuss from week to week as they pertain to Israel and Christian faith and the church and uh, some exciting things that are coming up. I want to tell you about a series of podcasts that we're going to be doing uh, on uh, Gene Binder's book, Connecting the Dots. And uh, this is an incredible book, Seven Bible Mysteries You May Have Missed That Will Change Your Life. And we're going to have Gene, the author, is going to be with us over the next number of weeks. And we want to encourage you to check that out. Today's podcast is a teaching that I did in uh, a couple of years back on the theology of the land of Israel. And uh, I want you just to listen today and uh, and be encouraged. God is in control and Israel is his land. And uh, this just clicks in so importantly with our mission to turn the hearts of people around the world towards the land, the people, and the God of Israel. And so uh, let's listen in, and uh, I hope you enjoy this teaching today. About this, the land of Israel. I want to talk about this because sometimes, you know, we have lots of ideas about the land of Israel and, and what its significance is in, in prophecy and why it's important today and, and all of those kind of things. But I want to talk about a little bit of a theology of the land for just a moment. This, this country is a tiny speck on the world map geographically, but it is incredibly significant. It must be because of the incredibly disproportionate amount of news coverage that it gets year in and year out. All eyes, it seems, are on this little tiny speck in the Middle East, this little nation. It's a country that makes up less than 1% of the world's population, and yet it is a, a focus of media coverage worldwide on almost a daily basis. Why? Why is there so much interest and attention focused on the land of Israel? Well, there are many reasons, most of them originating in the spiritual realm. We understand that because of our understanding of scripture and of, of prophecy and what God is doing in and through the land of Israel. The definition of the word theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief. Religious beliefs and theory when, when systematically developed. That's what theology is about. And there are all kinds of people who have an opinion about the land of Israel in the world. If you don't believe me, uh, just ask someone and I'm sure you'll have an interesting conversation on one side or the other. And these opinions range from those who support Israel and her right to exist all the way to those who think that the Jewish people are illegally occupying the land and everything else in between. Even among believers in Jesus around the world, there are many very dangerous misconceptions when it comes to the land of Israel. And so I wanna just talk about this for a little bit. It seems the prevailing opinions that we hear about in the media would have us believe some things that while they may seem to line up with current realities, 
don't really line up with the Word of God and what God says about the land of Israel. And so I want to tell you really the truth today because uh, the truth originates in God. God is truth. Amen? And so when we talk about a theology of the land, we're talking about what does God think about the land of Israel? What, what is Israel about from God's perspective? Jesus prayed to the Father concerning his disciples in John 17, and he said, sanctify them by, your, by thy truth or your truth, your word is truth. So we know God is representative of truth. He is truth. When Jesus came, he made his home among us, and he came, the Bible says in John 1 and 14, full of grace and truth. Amen. And so the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 14. So when it comes to the land of Israel, I'm not as interested in what everyone else has to say. I want to know what God has to say about it so that we can know the truth today. Amen. Amen. And so I want to look together in the, in the book of Ezekiel. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Ezekiel 35 and 36. It's two chapters long. I, I'm not going to take, I have it all here, thank you. I'm not going to, uh, to take the time to read it in its entirety, although normally I would. But, but I want to just highlight some of these verses in Ezekiel 35 and 36. And, and the context is, God is speaking to the land. And I want you to sort of know that in the beginning. So here's what it says, beginning of chapter 35, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you and make you a desolate waste. I will turn your towns into ruins and you will be desolate. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Because this is why he's against the mountains of Seir, because you harbored an ancient hostility and delivered the Israelites over to the sword at the time of their calamity. The time of their punishment reached its climax. Therefore, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, or declares the sovereign Lord, I will give you over to bloodshed and it will pursue you since you did not hate bloodshed. Bloodshed will pursue you. And God continues to speak to the mountains of Seir. This was the region where the Edomites lived or the descendants of uh, Esau. And so he's speaking to the mountains, though. He's speaking to the land, not to the people. And it's important to remember this, okay? He goes on, talks about how it will be cut off uh, from all who come and go, that he'll fill their mountains with the slain, and so on and so forth. Because you have said, and here's verse 10, he, he refers to Israel now. Because you have said, and again, talking to the mountains of Seir, because you have said... These two nations and countries will be ours and we will take possession of them, even though I, the Lord, was there. So these two nations that God is speaking about to the mountains of Edom are Judah and Israel, okay? The, the, the divided kingdom, essentially. So, so this is what the Lord is speaking. And he's saying to them, even though I, the Lord, was there. So God is telling the mountains of Seir, I'm I'm in their land. I'm in that land. Therefore, surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I'm in verse 11 now, I will treat you in accordance with the anger and jealousy you showed in your hatred of them, and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. I'm going to stop there and just continue down now to verse, or to chapter 36. And he says here, Son of man, prophesy now to the mountains of Israel, before he's talking to the mountains of Seir, which are uh, across uh, the Jordan. 
and now he's talking to the mountains of, of Israel, and say, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, the enemy said of you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. God says that the enemy has said they're gonna have this land for themselves. Therefore prophesy and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, because they ravaged and crushed you from every side so that you be became the possession of the rest of the nations and the object of people's malicious talk and slander. Therefore, the mountains of Israel hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and the valleys, to the desolate ruins and the deserted towns that have been plundered and ridiculed by the rest of the nations around you. This is what the sovereign Lord says in my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom for with glee and with malice in their hearts, they made my land their own possession. Did you catch that? They made whose land? My land. This is God who is speaking. My land. They made my land their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I speak in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the scorn of the nations. Therefore, I swear with uplifted hands that the nations around you will also suffer scorn. Now, that's a lot of scripture. Can I read just a little bit more? Yes. Okay, good. So verse eight, but you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come home. So my land, my people, okay? I am concerned for you and will look on you with favor. You will be plowed and sown, speaking to the land, and I will cause many people to live on you. Yes, all of Israel, the towns will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will increase the number of people and animals living on you and they will be fruitful and become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and will make you prosper more than before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause people, my people Israel, to live on you. They will possess you and you will be their inheritance. You will never again deprive them of their children. And I'm gonna stop there. There's more. And I will get to, to some of that in a little bit. Did you, did you catch what has historically happened to fulfill that prophecy? Are you, are you thinking in those terms? God says there's going to come a day when I will, I will bring many people, my people Israel, back to the land. You'll live on the land. You'll inhabit the land. You'll grow crops. The land will prosper prosper like it's never prospered before. There's just so many incredible things here. And uh, we, we want to just sort of catch that on the way by. In chapter 35, we started there. God through the prophet is speaking to a land, okay? And that's important for us to recognize. He's speaking to the mountains of Seir, a land that housed a prominent group of people that historically hated Israel, the Edomites, the descendants of Esau, who lived uh, south of the Dead Sea on both sides of the Rift Valley. And this is today an area roughly from Petra in Jordan and south to Aqaba on the Red Sea, down in that southern part of Israel. God is speaking to the mountains of Edom. And this hatred of Israel on behalf of the Edomites had festered for many years. In Genesis 27 and verse 41, we go back to Jacob and Esau and it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. 
Another translation says Esau hated Jacob on account of the blessing. And so here in Ezekiel 35, God speaks a message of doom against the land of the Edomites because their inhabitants have this eternal hatred or an ancient hostility of the land of Israel. And how many of you know that that ancient hostility, that eternal hatred is alive and well today and has been alive down through the centuries? Not just through uh, you know, the, the Arab nations, but in, in many parts of the world, anti-Semitism is, is alive and well. As a matter of fact, here in Canada, in 2016, they recorded the most number of anti-Semitic incidents on record. So, so it's, it's not a good situation when we think about people and their feelings toward the Jewish people. And so, an eternal hatred. And in verses five to nine of Ezekiel 35, it speaks of that because of this eternal hatred, Mount Seir had attempted to destroy Israel by the sword. And as a result, God says that they, the Edomites, did not hate bloodshed. And because they did not hate bloodshed, bloodshed will now pursue them in the same way that they had treated Israel. And in verse 10, God references that he's going to judge. He's going to judge the mountains of Seir because they said these two nations, these two countries, Israel and Judah, is what he's referring to there. And at the end of chapter 35, he finishes his speech to the mountains of Edom. He says, because uh, you said these countries will be ours and we will take possession of them, this is why I'm going to bring all of this upon you. And then in chapter 36, we jump to chapter 36. I know I'm going quickly. Am I going too quickly for anyone? Okay, we're good. Chapter 36, God turns his attention to another land and now he speaks to, just like he spoke to the land of the Edomites, he speaks to the mountains of Israel primarily. But he also mentions the ravines and the rivers also, but mostly speaks to the mountains, okay? And in his discourse, he says some very telling things that I want to just extract four truths from today so that we can walk away knowing what it is that God feels about this land. And I'm talking about land, physical, geographical, real estate, land, okay? And the first truth I want you to catch is this. God's kingdom is not only spiritual. God's kingdom is both spiritual and physical because we are, we're a part of God. Are you a part of God's kingdom? You're physical and spiritual, you're both. So God's kingdom is both spiritual and physical and therefore the land of Israel, the geographical real estate is not irrelevant to God. It is very significant. There are many out there who believe that because God's kingdom is spiritual, that the physical land of Israel is no longer relevant. Supersessionism, replacement theology, they, they jump right over Israel to the church and they miss what it is that God is saying about his people and his land. And it's not true. Jesus didn't say uh, that my kingdom is not in this world. What did he say? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God and his rule is not governed by the principles or the way of thinking of this world, but that doesn't mean that his kingdom does not include the physical earth. Revelations 5 and verse 10, it says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign where? On the earth, exactly. Part of God's great end time rule is that we will co-reign with him on a physical land. 
on the earth. After all, God created the earth. And when he created it, he said it was good. Very good, in fact. And so we believe that. We believe the earth is good. Our problem sometimes in the church, though, is that we have been impacted by, by Greek thinking that tells us, you know, the Greeks believe that there is a distinct dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual and that never the, the twain shall meet. That's, that's sort of how they teach. They think this way, that the material realm is temporary and we're basically stuck here on earth in our physical bodies and then one day we'll be delivered from our bodies and just be souls and spirits. That's how the Greeks think. But that is clearly not what the Bible teaches and it's not how, uh, how Hebrew thinking is either. God created you and I. He created our physical bodies. He created our souls and our spirits. He created the world and everything in it. The material is good because God made the material. God made it and he said that it was good. And when he made man and looked back and saw everything he had made, he said it's very good. So the material, the physical, is good because it was created by God, okay? Granted, the sinfulness of, of mankind, the, the curse has marred the physical. It, in many ways, we have everything from pollution to bloodshed and violence. We have, uh, you know, the destruction of, uh, of the environment in many cases. We've got all kinds of things that have marred the physical, but in and of itself, it's good because God made it. And so here in Ezekiel 35 and 36, God doesn't speak to people. Instead, he speaks to directly to the land. And so God has an interest in land. Ten times in those two chapters, he speaks to the mountains. Four times he speaks directly to Mount Seir. And he also speaks to the rivers, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys. And God speaks to the land. Some would argue and say, yeah, but, you know, that's the Old Testament and we don't, we don't go for that anymore. We're all, we're all about the New Covenant. We're all about the New Testament. Well, if you read in the book of Revelation, you'll discover that John saw a heavenly city coming down to earth. Revelation 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And so the, the earth, the land, is still a part of God's eternal plan for his kingdom, amen? It's there in the book of Revelation. But note something else that God says in the text. Uh, chapter 35, verses 12 and 13, Ezekiel 35, 12 and 13. I think I pointed it out on the way by. It says, then you will know that I, the Lord, have heard all the contemptible things you have said against the mountains of Israel. You said, they have been laid waste and have been given over to us to devour. You boasted against me and spoke against me without restraint and I heard it. God says to them, he charges the mountains and he says that they have said these awful things against the land, the mountains of Israel. And then he says, you know, in doing this, you boasted against me. You spoke against me without restraint. So I want you to make sure that we catch this today. God has wrapped up his identity with a piece of real estate, the land of Israel. And this land has been separated unto God for his purposes, okay? So the truth is, the physical land of Israel is part and parcel of God's kingdom and therefore extremely relevant to God. The second truth I want you to catch. So the first one is, the first one is that 
God's kingdom is both spiritual and physical, and so the land is not irrelevant to God. The second truth is this, the land of Israel is, in fact, God's land. When we talk about ownership, God says, it's mine. And as such, it is not land that can be given away. And that's important, especially in light of everything that's going on in Israel these days, okay? This is the big discussion in the world today. When it comes to the land of Israel, people say, if you would just give the land away, parts of the land away to those who are laying claim to it, if you would just do that, then there will be peace. And it's a lie. It's a lie. It's not just, you know, a lie. It's, it's a practical impossibility. You know, the, it's a lie because the Arabs will never be satisfied. Those who are, are wanting or saying they want land, they'll never be satisfied with land for peace because peace is not their ultimate aim. Their aim is for Israel to cease to exist. But it's also a practical impossibility because it's not Israel's land to give. The land belongs to God. It doesn't belong to anyone, Israel or the Palestinians. And so if it's not their land, they can't give it away. Does that make sense? Yes. I think it makes sense. So Ezekiel 36 and verse five, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And I pointed this out as we read together. In my burning zeal, I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom for with glee and with malice in their hearts, they made my land. God says it's my land. They made my land their own possession so they might plunder its pasture land. So it's God's land. He says so right here in this verse, and I don't know of any other situation in Scripture where God speaks about any other physical land, any other geographical place exactly this way, okay? And if you know of a place, please tell me, because I don't want to say that in error. But here he refers to the mountains of Israel as my land. So how can Israel or the government of Israel, how can they give away land for peace if it's not actually their land? You say, well, okay, but verse 17 says that it's Israel's land, or verse 16, the first part of verse 16. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land. That's what it says. We read it together in Ezekiel 36, 16. So that brings up about a bit of a quandary, doesn't it? Whose land is it? Is it God's land or is it, is it Israel's land? All right. In Acts 10 and 39, Peter references the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. Consider this then, uh, it's God's land, but the scripture also talks about the fact that it is a land that belongs to the Jewish people as well, the, the people of Israel. So are they co-owners maybe? This is a possibility that they're co-owners together, I guess. But at the very least, we can assume this, that the Jews have a, uh, look at it this way, a lease agreement for the land of Israel, okay? A lease agreement. If that's the case, then we understand what that means, don't we? The landlord or the owner is God, and the Jews are simply the tenants. Tenants, while they have the right to occupy the property listed in their lease agreement, they do not have the right to give it away. They can't give away the landlord's property. That just wouldn't be right. It belongs to the landlord. And if you don't believe me and you rent a home, just put that up for sale and see how quickly your landlord comes knocking on your door, right? And so even if they did have the right 
to give away the land. What would, what would that accomplish in the face of this eternal hatred that God speaks of in Ezekiel 35 and verse 5? The truth is it wouldn't accomplish anything. Uh, we've already said that. If the mountains were given to Israel's enemies, they would want the valleys too, and they would want the rivers, and they would want the rest, because they're not actually interested in land. What they're interested in is driving the Jewish people into the sea. And I'm not making that up. That's a direct quote, okay? It's a direct quote from those that would like to see Israel gone. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, quoting Golda Meir, said this, if the Arabs put down their weapons today, there would be no more violence. But if the Jews put down their weapons today, there would be no more Israel, right? You've heard it before. And that's really the truth of the situation, the truth of the matter. So God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, no doubt, but it is also a physical kingdom. And his land is a holy land that has a holy city in it where God says, I have placed my name how long? Forever. forever. Yes, you've read it too. I have placed my name forever, forever. It's his land. We can say what we want about it. The media can postulate and ponder the ins and the outs of ownership of the land and who has the rights. Governments can negotiate and trade and, and posture over the land. But in the end, regardless of what gets done in the natural, and you need to hear this because you know we see stuff happening all the time. They're talking about settlements. They're talking about giving this to the Arabs. And, uh, and, and we hear it and we say, oh my, oh my goodness, how can this happen? No matter what happens in the natural, God isn't worried. It's his land. And he has a plan, and his will prevails over anything that man could try and manufacture. And you, we need to know that today, because we get all worried about what's happening in Israel. Oh, dear Lord, what's, what's going on? How can this happen? God's not worried. He's not up there wringing his hands, wondering how this is all going to work out, okay? It's his land. Everything's under control. And I think we need to hear that today, because sometimes we, we feel like we've got to somehow you know, prevail upon God to do something that's not happening because maybe we think that he's not in control, but I need you to know he's in control. Amen? Amen. Amen. Truth number three, contrary to popular opinion, Jerusalem is the exclusive eternal capital of Israel and of the God of Israel. Jerusalem is his holy city and it is the eternal capital of Israel. Okay. I say this because this is not a widely held position. Those who are politically correct uh, and who would like to try and appease everyone would want to frame that very differently. They would say, you know, that, that there are many ways to worship and many paths to God and that, th that they would have us believe that Jerusalem should be an international city for the three great religions, the capital for these three religions, Judaism, Christianity, and the Muslim religion. I'm okay with it being the capital for Christianity. Are you okay with that? But the Muslim piece sort of sticks with me a little bit, and, and I want to tell you why. But in verse 10 of, of Ezekiel 35, God charges the mountains of Edom with attempting to take over the land of Israel. He talks about those two nations, Israel and Judah, even though he says, I, the Lord, was there. Again, God has placed his name in Jerusalem, the holy city, forever, it says. Adonai was, was not just any God, okay? This word, 
When he says, I the Lord was there, the word for the Lord there is Adonai. And this word indicated the exclusive God worshiped by a specific and peculiar or distinct people who dwelt in Jerusalem. That is the people of Israel, the Jewish people. The scripture tells us that there is only one God and that he dwells in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. It's here, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is, how many? The Lord is one. Psalm 135 and verse 21, praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. And so Jerusalem is the exclusive capital for the worship of God, the one true God who dwells in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To worship anyone else in this city, and, and this is a direct quote from, from Wayne, to, to worship anyone else in this holy city is actually an abomination to God and a desecration to his name. And I believe that that is the case. I have nothing against Muslim people. I believe that God loves everyone and wants to see everyone come to the knowledge of the truth that Yeshua is the Messiah, just like he wants to see the Jewish people come to that understanding. But we need to understand Allah is not the same God as Christians worship. Many will try and make you believe that he is, but it is written right in the stone in the dome of the rock, God has no son. And if we believe that God sent his only son into the world and that Jesus is that son, then Allah cannot possibly be the same God as the God of the Bible. The UN General Assembly has mounted an attack of late on the Jewish claim to the Western Wall, the Temple Mount, and the city of Jerusalem, and, and more recently, Hebron, uh, and even including two resolutions that ignored, and this was the wording, any and all Jewish ties to the Temple Mount. But they didn't call it the Temple Mount, they referred to it by its Muslim label, the Dome of the Rock. Ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But here are some interesting facts regarding the Muslim faith, which do not lend much, if any, credibility, credibility to their claim that Jerusalem is their holy city. First, their holy book, the Quran, which is said to have been dictated to Muhammad by Allah himself, makes absolutely zero mention of the city of Jerusalem. Not once is it mentioned, okay? Add to that the fact that, that it, the Dome of the Rock, is actually only the third most important site for Muslims, and you get a sense that they are making much ado about nothing. There's no mention, and only the third most important site. They've only been there since 630 years after uh, the time of Christ, after uh, 630 AD. I still like to use AD because it refers to Jesus after death. Uh, CE is common era, it's kind of wishy-washy to me, so I'll probably say AD most of the time. Now let's look at the case for the Jewish Christian connection to Jerusalem. Very quickly, Jerusalem is mentioned in the Old Testament 655 times. It's mentioned in the New Testament 146 times. The Jewish people have over 3,800 years of history in the region, in and around Jerusalem. Okay, to, to deny a Jewish connection to the temple is to use a word that my kids use, redonkulous. It's, it's, it's crazy, okay? It's crazy. So, Zechariah 1 and 14, this is God speaking. What does he say? I am very 
jealous. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And then in verse 16, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy and there my house will be rebuilt and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Only, the, only one name. There is only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. It is Yeshua. Only one city called through the scriptures, the holy city or the city of the great king, and it is Jerusalem. And it will be once again, the worshiping capital of the world, worshiping the one true God. It is the holy city for, for one God, amen? All right, last thing. And this, is, this, this will be the hard one for some of us. No one, truth number four, no one really deserves to possess the land of Israel. No one really deserves to possess the land of Israel. A lot of discussion as to who deserves the land of Israel or Palestine, who was there the longest, who has the most recent claim, who is the legal occupant, etc., etc., etc. Even believers, church people in some circles say that because Israel has not accepted Yeshua as their Messiah that they don't deserve the land. But the truth is this, no one deserves the land. Not even Israel could say that they deserve it because they messed up too. From our text in Ezekiel 36 and 17, son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. And so Israel also messed up over and over and over again. Read the, read the Old Testament. It's incredible, this cyclic uh, you know, thing that's happening of, of sin and then repentance and forgiveness and sin and repentance and forgiveness. It's unbelievable. And if Israel doesn't deserve it, then certainly neither do her enemies. In verse 5 of Ezekiel 36, God says, In my burning zeal I have spoken against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, for with glee and with malice in their hearts they made my land their own possession so that they might plunder its pasture land. And God goes on in a couple verses later to say that these enemy nations around Israel are going to suffer scorn and because of the way that they acted toward the land, they're going to be judged. The entire story of the people, the nation of Israel, is one huge illustration of God's grace towards sinners. Israel does not deserve the land of Israel any more than you and I deserve uh, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has brought us into his family. We don't deserve that. It's about the grace of God. The day that Israel received the law of God, they built an idol to worship. Just before they entered the promised land, God said to them, and this is in Deuteronomy 9 verses four to six, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take position, possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these other nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. And so God is very clear that it has nothing to do with them being deserving. It has to do with how wicked the other nations were. Understand then, verse six, it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. Has God ever called you a stiff-necked people? Yes. I've been called a stiff-necked people once or twice, I think. <laughs> because that's who we are, that's human nature, and that was the nature of Israel as well. But God's promise to the land of Israel, his unilateral covenant holds 
today. Genesis 15, when God walked down between the halves of the sacrifice. You know where, you know where Abram was when God did that? He was sleeping. He was sleeping. So in order for a covenant to be entered into between two people, uh, I would think they both have to be conscious, wouldn't you? <laughs> Abraham was sleeping. What does that say to us? It says that God made his covenant unilaterally. It didn't matter what Abraham said or did after that point. God's promise would hold secure. It would hold true because it was him that walked through the halves and the covenant was sealed in that moment. God is faithful even when we are faithless. Don't you love that? I love that. So Israel is far from perfect. They're, they're not perfect. But on the other hand, I don't see many Jews going around the world killing innocent people just for the sake of doing so. Uh, they uh, do so many humanitarian things, even in war, like sending leaflets from the sky uh, you know, to neighborhoods before they bomb them so that people can get out and get away. It's, it's amazing the lengths that they have gone to to do what they do in a very, very um, moral way, okay? And so Israel's not perfect. And we could have a discussion about who's more deserving. But it's about so much more than that. It's about so much more than that. It's about the one true God who has sovereignly declared this land to the, to the descendants of Abraham. It's their land. And we could think that's not fair, but who am I to say to the potter, why did you make me this way? Who am I? God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so God is the one who is in control. And the reality is this, while Israel is not worthy of the land, and yes, most of Israel has rejected, rejected Yeshua to this point, but God will make them worthy. Romans 11, 25 and 26. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you do not, so that, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. It's God's land. It's the land of the Jewish people. And it's where, it's where history will, will culminate in the end when Jesus puts his feet down again on the Mount of Olives, amen? It's a mystery, it's a mystery. But here's the last thing I want you to consider. If God does not keep his covenant promises to Israel concerning the land, then what does that say about his promise-keeping ability with us? See, we've got a lot invested here. We believe that because of the covenant that we have through Jesus Christ and what he has done, that we, we are part of God's family. But if God doesn't keep his promises to Israel, well, what does that say about his promises to you and I? So I vote. God's keeping his promise to Israel. Amen? Amen? It's his land. Thank you very much. God bless you. Well, I hope you found that interesting and informational and even enlightening the theology of the land of Israel. It is so important that we understand how God is not only wrapped up with the Jewish people, although he is, has an incredible relationship with the Jewish people. Our Messiah came through the Jewish people, but he's also connected to the land, to the real estate in Israel. And so I hope that you enjoyed that. We uh, remind you that we're a charity and that we do help 
ministries in the land of Israel, uh, about 70 of them, humanitarian organizations, congregations, and others who are doing uh, work to help those who are less fortunate in the land of Israel and to reach out with the love of God and the love of his son, Yeshua, or Jesus. And so if you've never donated to our ministry, I want to encourage you, uh, would you just go to our website, firstcenturyfoundations.com forward slash donate. You can make a donation there to help ministries in the land of Israel. And we would just be so encouraged by that. And uh, you can do that whether you're in Canada or the United States. And we just challenge you to consider prayerfully whether or not you could help our ministry there. We've literally sent millions of dollars to the land of Israel, to ministries in the land of Israel over the last 30 years or so. And uh, just believe that God will continue to bless. Uh, This is his ministry. And so if you want to be a part of that, we just encourage and challenge you to do that. Thanks for being with us again today. Don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel or subscribe to this podcast. And uh, we remind you that as Christians, we stand with Israel.